Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Why don't we eat? Dear Doc, cause of course, I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. Cornflakes. 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 You fancy a pint? Suit you, sir. Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam. I said I don't want any damn vegetables. Lentils are really good, you know? Mmm, forbidden donut. This is uh, probably good. It's a little place to start the show. We've got a lot to get through, so here we are. It's the afternoon, and uh, you are on 3 RFM, but you know that, you fabulous, highly evolved person, you, or people that are listening. Great to have you aboard. Thank you. My name is Cam Smith, looking after the afternoon, or starting the afternoon, and it is my delight, my joy, as I look across to my... Compatriots, Kent Goldsworthy. Hello. Good afternoon, Chef. Uh, good afternoon, Chef. How you doing, Chef? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Yeah. Loving the sunshine. Loving yeah. the Christmas vibe. Yeah. Thank you for joining uh, us all here for the for the last show. And uh, maybe we'll start off with a, a, a tinge of sadness in the fact that uh, this year the Beach Shack. Oh, it's not going to happen no. this year because... Uh, Ripped off. You, in the rip. <laughs> we got taken out by the rip. Um, we're not doing the beach shack because both of us decided that uh, we're going to just let it rest for, for the year and have a little bit of a holiday, which I'm kind of looking forward to, I must say. I'm going to miss that uh, pizza barge that came around every so often. And the croissant, the croissant barge as and well. The bottomless esky. The bottomless esky. And, um, and we did some... Pretty all right music we've sort of got the feedback from. Music was a blast. No, it was good fun. It was good fun. But uh, the good news is that uh, this summer Rachel Connor uh, will do a couple music fills and then Alice Mathau will be uh, bringing her summer show 
paddock to plate for four weeks. Mm, back again. Yeah, that's yeah, something to look forward to yeah. for the summer this year. But anyway, the here and now, 12.03 here on 3 RFM. We've got a couple excellent human beings in the green room that uh, are just chatting amongst themselves. Um, the first cab off the rank is... Ashley Butler, and Ashley Butler's superpower is to make unbelievably good meals in the very, very tight confines of a camper van. Mm-hmm. Only the, camper vans? Uh, yeah, the combi oven in a combi. No, no, you can't put a combi oven in a combi. Uh, but having great food from really, really small spaces. And she has brought out a book. It was released last October called The Small Kitchen Cook. Thoughtful recipes for tiny kitchens. And I thought, wouldn't that be great to have a chat about? Because, we're first of all, we're just about to go into summer and there'll be a lot of people in motorhomes and combis and things like that. But we were talking about this, weren't we, Kent? We can extrapolate it out, couldn't we? So what will we say? Uh, tiny houses are a bit, bit of a thing at the moment. Yes. Um, of yes. course, camping. Camping, yes. Um, you know, cooking in the tent or outside, probably a good idea to cook people out who of have the tent. downsized from, you know, empty nesters, you know, have downsized and they're used to a big family kitchen and now... And all of know, a sudden they've got a kitchen. cupboard to cook in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, and I have heard... Anecdotally, and especially, I know this happens in New York, but um, I think it's happened here in some places where one-bedroom apartments yeah. solves kitchen without without a kitchen at all, huh? Which terrifies me, you know, mm. with the ethos of mm. this show. And anyway, but um, uh, but Ashley, with this book. Uh, will guide you through how to set up a really, really good kitchen, the things that you really need to have in your kitchen, the things that are superfluous, and also how to make a really, really beautiful food, like, you know, beautiful risottos in autumn. Or what were you saying? A pan pie. Well, yeah, there's a couple of recipes in there that you associate with ovens. So what do you do yes. if you don't have an oven but yeah. still want a pie, for example? Uh-huh. Well, there's uh-huh. a solution right there. Uh-huh. So stay tuned <laughs> for that one. And um, our second guest, uh, the uh, redoubtable, the, uh, the innovative Cameron McKenzie. Cameron McKenzie... Uh, hey, runs a, a a little place up in you know Healesville. It's uh, it's not a bad place. Uh, it's a distillery actually, uh, and it's been named to the International Gin Producer of the Year <laughs> three times. Three times. You're not talking about Four Pillars Gin, my friend. Four Pillars <sighs> Gin. Um, one of uh, well, greatest gins that we have really. It's uh, dominating the market uh, here. Overseas, um, an incredible place that um, puts their, well, great credentials of uh, being, let's see, now let me get this right. Uh, we were looking at, um, where is it? They, are, what am I trying to say? They have a, a great system that uh, is completely not organic, but it's a closed loop system anyway. I'll, I'll find a better way of saying that a little bit later. Um, we should also uh, acknowledge people that have been on the show before. You brought to my attention about Wonky. Yeah, Wonky were guests on, I guess, maybe a month or so ago. 
Yes. Um, and, and for those who missed it, Wonky's a, a little startup company that was in a little incubator project for some Monash students. Yes. And the whole idea was that they would source imperfect fruit that Woolies and Coles would reject and yes. they would use that fruit to make, um, you know, spritzers really, but you know, some kind of uh, fizzy drink and they've done that very successfully, so successfully in How fact. How successfully? So su- successfully yes. in fact that just this week they've gone from this small scale uh, venture um, to getting space in Dan Murphy's, would you believe? And it's this is in un- rapid pace. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And a great product. And uh, their, their newest flavour is out of mandarin and orange. Yeah. And uh, we'll just go plucky. We're big fans of the cucumber one, though, aren't we? Good on you. Yeah, the yeah. cucumber is, is, is really good. Talk about a thirst-quenching drink. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing. Sorry, what I was trying to say about uh, Four Pillars, I'll just rewind a little bit. <laughs> Uh, I was getting completely tongue-tied, and I apologise for that. Uh, They are climate-active, carbon-neutral product Mm -hmm. and organisation. So that is a huge tick. It just happened to taste great. Yeah, it happens to taste great. And it's a huge range too. Uh, And also, before we uh, go on to some sponsorship announcements, get Ashley in the studio, uh, we should also say huge congratulations to uh, the Loon Luminary founder, uh, the croissant goddess, Kate Reid, uh, has just got an honorary doctorate from, where was it, Monash? Uh, RMIT. RMIT. Yeah. RMIT, wow. So she went. So she was a, an RMIT alumni in aerodynamics or aeroengineering, I think. Yes. Right? And yes. Then, then, you know, as you do, go from that into croissants. So she got the honorary doctorate for croissants, not the engineering in the end. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah, just just amazing. So, um, congratulations to you, Kate. Congratulations uh, to the people at Wonky. That is just an amazing achievement. It is twelve oh nine here at Three Triple R FM. Let's find out how to set up a combi for the road to make it delicious. After this, Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. So delighted that you joined us. You might be, you might be at home having a cuppa. You might be preparing lunch, or you could be out on the road in a specially modified combi that uh, can produce really, really great food. Oh, you haven't got one of those yet, and you want to modify it to make great food. Well, I have just the guest for you sitting across from me. Welcome and thank you for coming in because I think you've come from a long way down the coast. Ashley Butler, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Cam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. For, now, you um, you live down the west coast, do you not? I live in Janjuk, so down near Very Torquay nice. on the surf coast, yeah. That's a nice place to live. And for a while you were just living completely with four wheels underneath you, is that right? Yeah, in times of your life for a long time, um, a little snippets of houses in between. But um, up until uh, my twin daughters were born, I was I think it was about six months pregnant, still living in with twins, still living in a van. So I was ready. To <laughs> wow, <laughs> maybe not be in a van after that, but yeah. that's okay. It's yeah, like, oh God, we need we need to get rid of these. We oh we need to we need to actually have some proper walls around us. Yeah, too. not having to. To deal with this long-term project that uh, you've created for yourself. 
Yeah, but I definitely miss it. Um, I'll bet. So, yeah. first of all, twins, um, names? Etta and Ark. How long? How old? Sorry. How long, <laughs> How long ago was that when they came? Uh, they're three and a half. Yes. Yeah. They're three and a half. And uh, they enjoy uh, getting in the van and travelling around? They do. We've um, My partner's my partner builds vans for a living and he... What's his name? His name's Jared. Hey, Jared, if you're listening. Um, yeah, he builds vans with our dear friend Sam and mm. they... Um, Jared's been under, like, building ours for on and off for about a year now and Etta and Ark have bunk beds yes. above us that they're pretty happy with. So tell me, what was the first, how long ago was it and what was the first experience in, in having a van? And and was this sort of an aspiration that you had as a, a very young? When did this hit, first Ooh, of all? That's a, that's a good question. I've been thinking about that recently um, <laughs> yeah. and trying to dive deep into, you know. The genesis. Memory. Yeah, yeah memory. like the, where the seed was germinated. Yeah. And I think it was when I was about eight Really? That? Yeah, because my brother, I'll never forget, older my older brother, who's about the cool, 10 cool? years, Daniel, yeah, he, him and his two friends took off in a, I think it was like a mid-60s pale blue combi oh, when they that. were about 18. Yeah. yeah. And you had to wave them goodbye. Yeah, went, yeah. Wow, my brother's so cool. I wonder what he's going to do. Yeah. Adventures. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's exactly and right. And did he come back and tell you of the adventures? He did come back. He did come back. Yes. He came back. I was still obviously living with my mum and dad and he came back at like 3 o'clock in the morning one morning because wow. they, I don't know, they must have run out of money or something, <laughs> something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, so I think and, that that's where the seed was germinated, like the seed. Yes, sort of was, it, it came to be. And uh, and so then you obviously thought about it long and hard and thought, you yeah, know, this is what I really want to do, four wheels underneath me and a changing view from the windscreen yeah. and waking up to a, a changing view. What was the first van you had? Was that with Jared? It was with Jared. Um, we had a Volkswagen Transporter. Yes. We couldn't stand well, that, that's up That's pretty modern. It. Yeah. The modern VW. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We yep. got that one probably about 12 years ago. Mm. Um, and I think the most refreshing part is just selling all your stuff, like just mm. – Shedding all of the stuff that you don't actually need. Shades um, of Herman Hesse and renunciation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and kind of figuring out all of the things that you really need when you live in a small space. So, you know, your perfect fry pan, your perfect knife or two and mm. really kind of refining and after you've been doing it for a little while, you, you have to be figure brutal, out don't you? What's what you need and what you actually don't. Yes. Yeah. And and was the the first trips were they successful? Or did they sort of set up more problems than than what you had? If you know what I mean, it's like, geez, well, this is this is kind of hard. Our first stint living in a van was we actually lived in the city. We lived yes. in Melbourne. Um, that was cold, yeah. um, but we utilised. Swimming pools for warm showers and that sort of thing. Swimming pools for warm showers? <laughs> Could you extrapolate not, on that? I'm not having a shower in the swimming pool. All right. But, um, you know, paying for a pool entry and then getting oh, a warm got shower. Oh, shower. Right, hey, clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, that, that, that's good. And, um, and so you would, have, um, you would have had some amazing trips in, in your van. So have you travelled extensively throughout Australia and Tasmania? Um, 
mainly the um, up and down the east coast of Australia, but then a fair bit of time in the US and Canada. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was um, – we bought a – 1977 Dodge or something that broke down on every public holiday. Hey, nice. Um, <laughs> Old reliable. It was like, I think it was $2,000 and it was this beautiful burnt orange with a pinstripe oh, pop top and wow, total full of rust. Wow, thing. But, yeah. yeah. It was... But charming. Yeah, yeah. Charming in the way it would break down. And what were the sort of the earliest realisations as to how you organise um, your meals in the kitchen space? Um, I guess the... You were the, sort of saying that the most important thing was refining down to just a very specific sort of a kitchen, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And that that kind of with storage as well, with storing food. So I guess once you kind of become confident with what your basic staples are, um, not necessarily fresh produce but like, you know, grains and pulses and mm. oils and that sort of thing, then everything can kind of have their its own vessel to go in. Yep. So there's you know that you're always going to have enough stuff and everything's going to be easy to find because I think that's something that I've really um, taken on in my life now where, it's nice to have order because then you're, you feel more inspired to be in that space. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's not just a hassle going, where the hell is that yeah, deal? Yeah, and then you the, don't... And you're what, going through these bins of stuff and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like so those, those things, like, um, can make such a difference and actually make you f- want to cook in the space that you're in. And you thought, geez, I'm, I'm, over the years you obviously thought to yourself, geez, I'm getting pretty good at this and um, we've established something that's pretty damn good and we live really well yeah. on the road because that's if there's one sense that I get from this book and just to reiterate I'm having a chat with Ashley Butler who's written a book called The Small Kitchen Cook uh, Thoughtful Recipes for Tiny Kitchens is that you live well yeah on the road I mean Food we were is an talking important about thing. Yeah. doing risottos on the road and things like that and yeah. uh, we were talking Kent wanted to ask something about what was it the pie yeah, the pie. So a recipe that you associate with an oven and you're obviously not having an oven in the uh, van. Yep. That, that pie looks pretty tasty. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd give it a crack because the the book is totally based on recipes that don't need an oven or any electric equipment. Yeah, you say that everything that in this book can be cooked on a two-burner stove. Yep. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I love pies. Mm. Who... Okay, come on. Yeah, yeah, I know. Come on. It's mother, <laughs> a motherhood statement, yeah. Yeah. Um, Pies, come on. How so can you be against a pie? Yeah. Who says that you can't How do you get it to brown on top? Pie? Pardon? How do you get it to brown on top? You flip it over. You flip it. Yes. Yeah. So it's okay. not a deep dish pie because no. otherwise the pastry on the edges don't cook properly. Yeah. So. And you, and you get all the fillings smacked on the walls as you try to flip it. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Not good. <laughs> Um, then Jared's not happy because he'd have to clean it up, right? Probably, probably, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, what did you want to know about the pie? That, yeah, how did you? How did it come about? And um, it was that sort of uh, necessity, being the mother of invention, to sort of drop a cliche. Sorry, Matt, if you're listening, just did a cliche. <laughs> there you go. I just slapped myself. How, how did you come about doing that? Was- I I think I I just wanted to tick a few boxes, you know, like not leave. Um, certain dishes out of 
a book to really drive in the theme of like your kitchen doesn't need to be compromised in you know variety because you have a small one mm, you so can make it work. trying it like even doing like a stovetop cake as well like yep. so stovetop pizzas in there right yeah there's yep. a stovetop pizza mm. so yeah just kind of going you know heat under the base you know just flip it over <laughs> it, it, it'll work was yeah. there anything that you tried to use that you would normally do in an oven that you just eventually had to give up on trying? You just well, couldn't yeah. find something? Um, the souffle. <laughs> <laughs> it's never yeah. going to work. Yeah, sorry. Um, let me have a think the about that. The roast chicken. <laughs> roast chicken. Well, I did it on the barbecue. So, no, uh-huh. I think I think um, those things I generally resorted to the barbecue, like there's a barbecue, uh-huh. butterfly barbecue chook in there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think the main thing that I kind of would miss is roasting vegetables in an oven. Like that's yeah. – yeah. you can't really do that on a stovetop. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite bring the same. Yep. But um, I'm wondering, you know, with um, – what are your thoughts? Just so This just struck me. Um, air fryers are getting pretty compact now. Would it be, you'd be able to fit an um, air fryer in the – I'm sure people the... are using air fryers in mm. vans, but – Yeah, then you could get your roast. Um this book is beautifully laid out. It starts off with um, the small kitchen tips, um, looking at designing of the small kitchen. One of the most important things, the essential equipments that you need within that space. And then you talk about the, the pantry, um, the spices and the herbs you love, and you love spices and herbs. That comes through um, in, the, in the book. One thing that did strike me, and I wasn't quite sure why this was included, was silicon muffin tins. <laughs> so I was going, hang on, we, we were just talking. We don't have an oven. Uh, what do you use those for? What are um, they good for? So no-bake sweets. Yes. So because there's no oven, if people like to um, make sweet things, mm-hmm. um, which I do. Yes. Um, and they're a great thing to have and um, will last a long time. Mm. So I've... Got a couple of no-bake sweet things So in you there. can just pour them in then yep. pop them out. And yep. uh, also you've um, you've laid out your recipes for the seasons because if you could maybe describe how you eat sort of differently in, in the seasons. Definitely. So the, in the spring and summer um, chapters, um, there's a lot of dishes that I've created to try and keep people maybe not in the kitchen so much, like mm. just using a single pot that doesn't take that long and then the rest of the food can be, you know, chopped up outside or whatever. And then in the winter, autumn times, um, kind of slow cooks, um, curries, risottos, um, yeah, meat, mm. like slow meats and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah more varied. heartwarming. Yeah, they're yeah. very, they're, they're quite varied. And so uh, for summer, it's obviously very, very different because you want to eat fresh. One thing that you did recommend about um, cooking is that it's a really, really good idea if you can arrange it to have your cooking do it outside of the camp or outside of where you are because, one, you can hang out with your friends while you're doing it. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. what was the other about the smells? Like you didn't want to wake up and... Yeah. Uh, smell the curry or whatever it is you had the the night before. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. And also, just um, who knows what kind of heating and cooling you do have in your small space. So in the summertime, you don't really want to be cooking in a hot box. No. Yeah. 
No. Yeah. Uh, there's an awesome um, uh, section that Jared did as, as about how to build um, your your dream home on wheels, and one was the the shelves where you bring out. You just open up the tailgate and bring out the kitchen, which sounds yeah, great. Yeah, sliding kitchen. Wouldn't be able to do that with a combi because that's where the the engine is, I that's suppose. Exactly yeah, right. it kind of yeah, yeah. Oh, whoops! That's where where that is. Um, where can we get this book? Because it's really, really good. Um, you can get it through um, my partner Jared's website, uh, vanlife.com.au. That was. Here we go. Kent's just writing that down. Van, Van Life. .com.au. Yes. Um, also, it's available through um, a lot of bookshops around the city. Yes. Um, you could also go directly to my publisher's website, which is Exploring Eden Books. Exploring Eden Books. Dot com. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's that's... and that'll uh, that'll get you. How much is it? Uncle. It's thirty nine ninety five. Well, that's all right. It's a yep. lovely little hardcover book, um, and the good news is that it's uh, it's it's not tiny, but it's a little bit smaller than uh, the A four sort of size that we normally see with a book. It's it's very very cute. This is to ask your favourite child. I know this, and this could be kind of hard, but is there any sort of experience or any view or meal that stands out as being just totally exceptional? And you just went, my God, can this. Can this day or this moment never end? Because I'm sure you you must have had so many of those travelling as you have. Are you talking about out of the book or out of my your experience in in your life in uh, in in being in a van and cooking? What's what's the best meals and the best views you've had? I suppose. Um, I'm going to refer to an experience. Go on. Um, because I think it made it taste better. Mm-hmm. Um, we made a papaya salad. That was for maybe about sixty people, and we made so much of it that we put it in an esky. Oh, so we had an wow. esky full of papaya salad, oh salad yeah. and it was just the best. Yeah, and I'll always remember sharing that with. These and we didn't have a mandolin or a fancy cutter either. We had multiple <laughs> friends that helped us slowly, really finely slice yeah. all of the papaya, and it was yeah. What was the location for that? Where that was in this was obviously a the big, US. This was a big get together of uh, yeah. like-minded individuals. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Well, um, whether or not you live in a tiny apartment uh, in the city, or if you aspire to maybe a tiny house, or if you're lucky enough to uh, to have a van, um, this book could be for you. It's called The Small Kitchen Cook. Uh, by Ashley Butler. I think it's um, it's just lovely, lovely photos, great information. Thanks, Cam. And Thanks. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's wonderful. And I hope you sell many of them. And uh, you're heading out on the road soon. What's what's have you got any plans for summer? Um, yeah, we're going to Newcastle for Christmas, yes. and then um, all the way up to at the back of Mwoolumbah, like Numanbar Valley. Wow. Yeah. And then back again. And then back again. Yeah. And, and then turn around and come back for yeah. 2024, which yeah. is, uh, is coming amongst us. Congratulations on the book. It Thank you. It is a beauty. Uh, and we've got Cam McKenzie coming up next. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how.
sorry, Jimmy. What sort of drink you want? What sort of drink you want? Yeah. Stop playing that piano. See? Let's drink. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, having fun in the studio. <laughs> Ashley had to go. Um, she, she started up the combi and uh, heading out over the Westgate Bridge. Uh, if you've got the radio on, thank you again, Ashley. And again, that book is called The Small Kitchen Cook. And um, yeah, it's a beauty. It really, really is. But now, <laughs> it's my great honour to um, to bring in a person who has just the most amazing organisation behind him with his partners and I've got to say it's a, as he would say and it does say so on the website it's an organisation with, with great heart, it really really is and Climate Active uh, said uh, achieved carbon neutral product and organisation and also the international gin producer of the year, not once, not twice, <laughs> but three times. Three Pete. Three Pete. Uh, it's a great pleasure, Kent and myself, to introduce to you the wonderful Cam McKenzie from Four Pillars. Congratulations oh, to you. And oh, what, what about that intro? You've practised that. And also, I didn't even mention a decade of making great <laughs> gin too, from the start, from just a, a wonderful... Copper still that yeah. was named after what was the name of the still? It's Wilma named it was after Wilma. my late mum, oh, which was the perfect name for a still because she had five sons and she could explode at the drop of a hat. Really? Uh, so it was yes. perfect. She could put away some martinis. Let me tell you, could Wilma. she? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So all the stills are named after mums. And you're right, we're ten years in, which is is kind of crazy. But I think when you work with Stuart Gregor, it's like dog years. Yes, you know, it's, uh, yes. it seems a lot longer than that. Uh, but any business that I think that can survive a handful of years does pretty well and, and get COVID. through ten and COVID, and COVID to remember wow. that. It's so been amazing. How on earth did this thing come together? Oh, look, that is a it's a fantastic question, and it's sometimes I, I that's the crazy <laughs> thing about your second for today. speed, did you hear that? Yeah, that's it. Yes. Write that one down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ten years is a really interesting time because it's a great time to reflect on what you've done in ten years. Yeah. You also get quite exhausted reflecting on it when you think of just how much we've done. Yeah. And, you know, for me, coming out of the wine industry and a desire to run my own business... I so what were you doing in the wine industry when you say you've come out of the wine well, industry? I sort of started way back when in mm. the 90s in production with Rob Dolan at Yarra Ridge and St Hubert's. Yes, and then sort of opened my mouth once too often and ended up in sort of PR, marketing, comms roles. <laughs> right. Much more cushy jobs. Yes. Uh, prior to so, that. So not cleaning out the tanks and things like I, that. Well, I sort of moved away from all of that. And oh, I met good. Stu on, weirdly, on the Olympic Job Opportunity Program because I was training of course. to try and make the Sydney Olympics as yeah. a 400-metre runner. Really? I'd wow, been that's to a, that's the Atlanta Olympics. Difficult distance. Tough distance, Whoa. the Sprinters Marathon. Yeah, the Sprinters Marathon. So the point at which I met Stu is the point at which my athletic career plummeted and my booze career took off. Brilliant. If you were no, to graph I, I the think, two. Well, we applaud that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I just worked in wine for a long time, loved it, and ended up sort of more in winery management. Mm. Really had a great desire to run my own business and noticed early on in the piece that most of 
the people in the wine industry or in in food, in chefs, in restaurants, gin was very much their white spirit of choice. Oh right, yes, you know, yes, aroma, yeah. flavor, balance, weight, texture, all those all those things were the botanical same. Botanical chef, it's all about the botanicals. Yeah, it's, it's all about spices and botanicals, mm. but balance and texture and flavor. And so we just, you know, we Stu, Gregor, Matt Jones, and I took a bit of a punt and bought a still. Uh, Rob Dolan crept back. Where'd on you the get scene. that? Where'd you find the still? Like, do you just? Sign out for it. Are you getting a mail order catalog? Stu or? and I did an amazing road trip from Portland, Oregon, oh, down no to Los way. Angeles. Oh no way! Convinced our wives it was research and development. Far and all on. he did is go to breweries and distilleries <laughs> and sporting events for two and a half weeks. <laughs> and every time we came across a still made by Christian Karl in Germany, we just love those spirits. Yeah, the, these beautiful copper top, yeah. glory things. Yeah. Unbelievable. And Carl, as it turned out, are the oldest still manufacturer in Germany. They've been around 150 years. And right. they're the size of a city block. You wouldn't yes. believe the size of this place. Mm. But they make less than one still a week. They only make about 40 stills a year. So it was a 12-month waiting list. Wow. So we jumped on the waiting list, bought Wilma, and just waited. But that was a really great opportunity to go through my breaking bad phase of just bootlegging alcohol and botanicals. And oh, okay, you didn't have to... a meth lab. In the <laughs> That's exactly what it looked like. Yeah, yes. You've got to register all the equipment with the police because it's exactly the same equipment. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the yeah. local cop, I actually thought I was cooking crystal meth. Really? Um, I had to bring him in the kitchen and show him the glass lab still. And See, this is coriander and this is, this is Oros. Fruit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 orris fruit look particularly sus. Yeah, yeah, hello. But that was kind of how it started at the back of a shed in Warrandyte at Rob Dolan's winery. You know, he kindly gave me a space. Yes, we outgrew that tiny space. And you were hand, day one. It was the same as sort of um, uh, mountain goat in the fa- in the fact that you did a lot of hand bottling. Everything. Yeah, yeah, everything hand bottled, and you know some of that crew that used to come in and bottle with us are still now running the bottling line at Four Pillars out in Hillsville. Did that iconic shape start on day one with the the Four Pillars gin shape of bottle? Because absolutely, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, we've and never changed. How, how did that decision come about? Because that was to, to come about, that is part of the branding, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Look, I, Matt, that's, this is where Matt Jones is is particularly good. You know, Stu's background was not only in wine but was in PR and comms and mm. then Matt had a much more strategic brand, language of brand sort of background. And Great he briefed designers yes. and, and sort of set the language of the business across all, all the platforms of social media and marketing. I've always said, you know, I make gin, Stu makes noise and Matt makes sense. That's, <laughs> and, and that's the partnerships you really need. Yeah. Going back to Mountain Goat where you had Cam and Dave, mm. Dave made the product, Cam, no, Dave filled the warehouse and Cam was responsible for emptying the warehouse. Exactly. And this is, but you had it even stronger. This is a, a triumvirate. Absolutely, yes. yeah. It wasn't, four pillars wasn't the four people. No, no was that was the, the weird thing. Yeah, it was three people. <laughs> it was three people. We should have called it three but, pillars. Yeah. But that, that was really important to us and we but haven't I changed that bottle. I don't know how that, that house is going to stand, my friend. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, go on. No, but that's that's why it worked, I think, is is we all had different skill sets with a little mm. bit of overlap, but we all respected each other's skill set really, really well. Yeah. But that bottle hasn't changed at all. It's still four dots on the bottle and um, I love it. It sits nicely behind a bar. It's easy to pour. It's recognisable. Yeah, and I mean, it looks a little bit like the Espelon tequila bottle, but hey, we, we're not, it's more than ten percent difference. Yeah, so. that's right. So <laughs> it's not it's not, not suitable. Um, what was the first gin that you made? The first gin that we ever had the guts to release was rare dry gin. Yeah, which 
you know, is still my favourite of our gins. And is that like a London recipe? No, we deliberately didn't want to make a London dry style. Yes. You know, I love London dry gin. I really do. And that was sort of the first gin that I stole off off my parents when I was 16 was, was London dry in style. But that was also the opportunity for Four Pillars and so many other distilleries, as it turns out, is gin didn't innovate for 40 years. It sat there really as London dry probably until Bombay Sapphire and then maybe Hendrix? Tech 10 and then Hendrix. Hendrix yeah, yeah, Hendrix was the game changer. What did Bombay Sapphire do different? Well, I think they just tidied up their marketing a little bit. You know, And, and also the London fact you had style. the botanicals on that. That bottle is a masterpiece. It's a beautiful bottle. It's a vapour-infused gin. Yes. You know, so everything's in a basket. Yes. They just started to f- sort of funk it up a little bit for yeah. a category that had been so boring. Yeah. So Rare Dry for us, we deliberately made in a more contemporary, modern Australian Style. style, not so much an Australiana style. So which there's a place you didn't for that. Stick it full of strawberry gum, for instance. <laughs> we, we didn't want to shove crocodile Dundee in a bottle. You know, hey. we, we wanted to make something a bit different. So, uh, for us, it was sort of saying, "Well, what's modern Australia?" And that, to us, was sort of drawing inspiration from all around the world, but anchoring it with a couple of interesting native botanicals. You know, nowhere tastes like Australia. It's an amazing place to make gin because we're part of Asia. Mm. So why would we ignore some of the spices that sit on our doorstep as mm. well as some of the incredible botanicals we grow here? Because and, and then we get fresh citrus 12 months of the year. If I was in Europe or the UK, I'd have to use dried peel. So mm. as it as it turns out, waiting sort of 12, 14 months for Wilma to arrive was the best thing for us because it we really fine-tuned that recipe. And it got your R&D happening. Absolutely. When we yeah. signed off on it, we said that that is the rule. We will never change that recipe. And in 10 years, absolutely nothing about that gin has changed. Mm. But the gin has got better because we now hold huge tanks of that gin at high proof all the time and we never empty those tanks. We take a little portion out get it ready for bottling, and then we top it up. So we've got this sort of... Too much like a Solero. It's in, like in a, a Solero. In a weird way. Like a master stock. Yeah, yes. And the longer I can leave it in tank, the yes. bigger the intensity, the bigger the flavours. So the flavours have never changed. They've just gotten better and more concentrated and bigger, and that's why I think we've seen such great results in some of the international competitions. Yes. That it's just becoming a more intense, flavourful gin. And this brings us to the international competitions. To be... Um, to be lauded by your peers, to be to be recognised by the rest of the world, is incredible, and to also get the award from what is described as sort of the Oscars of booze is extraordinary. It must have been amazing. The, it's pretty surreal. Yeah. The, the first time you win it, but the third time must be like, oh my god. Yeah, and- I, I think the first time we won it, there is always an element of, well, did did they sort of fluke that? Mm. Are we imposters? You know, there is a little bit of that. And Mm. I I went over for the awards ceremony at Guildhall, Mm. um, big black tie, magnificent function. I was in my Mackenzie kilt. Incredible. That's Uh, that's something we – do you know, there's two things we have in common is that we share the first name. Yes. But we're also – I'm of a Mackenzie clan as well. I knew that as soon as I met you. I know. It's the dirt sticking out of my boot. You you said, no, you can't can't have that in the distillery can. (laughs) Check your dirt at the door. (laughs) Check it in. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, yes. You you wore your kilt. I wore my kilt. kilt. Yeah. And received a trophy, which was incredible, and, Mm. and sort of got back to my hotel with the trophy in one hand and a kebab in the other, uh, so I, I, I really dialed it up. The second time you win it, you go, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a right here. I think this is consistency and this is showing that we are 
we we're not just the quirky Australian gin on the shelf. We now actually can sit next to any brand in the world. Aren't they blind competitions? They are, 100%. Yeah. So they're yeah. not seeing brand, they're just tasting liquid. And I think the third win is testament to building a team that has always focused on the target and never missed it. The target is is Red Dry Gin every time. The target is Bloody Shiraz. The target is all of those gins mm. are in bottle. We've got the recipe. That is the target. Never miss it. So it's not really about me anymore. You know, Sarah Prowse and our whole distilling team are really quite remarkable in just keeping that consistency, ruthless, repeatable excellence. And that's what it's about. And to win it a third time was was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I'll tell you what. Uh, it is 12.48 here on 3 Triple RFM. Uh, we, uh, meaning Kent and myself, are having a chat with Cam McKenzie uh, about his sensational product, uh, the Four Pillars Gin. And uh, maybe we might uh, have a little chat about being carbon neutral in product and organisation. But before we do that, let's hear about this. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Cam McKenzie has joined us here in the studio. He is uh, with his uh, triumvirate, uh, the team and the team, uh, the founder of Four Pillars Gin. Uh, We're about to break into uh, a Christmas gin. But before we talk about that, I just wanted to applaud you on what you've done at Healesville in being carbon neutral and and really walking the walk is without resorting to cliche again. Sorry again, Matt, if he's listening, he's going to go, I'm going to get you for that. Um, but this is, you've done so much within the distillery and I was wondering how did these programs uh, come to mind and how did you implement them so well? Yeah, I, I think moving into the site in Healesville in 2015 was that great opportunity to address sustainability because mm. in 2013 when we launched, really sustainability wasn't really a word that was being thrown around a great yeah. deal. Just, but once just we moved... get the stuff out the door. Get it out while you're growing. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to make that a priority because ultimately it's an investment in your business and you can save money in the long run. So to work out, you know, distilling is energy hungry, it's water hungry, yes. it's waste generating. Generating, yeah. So to sit down and Michelle Hall, who started with us half a day a week, uh, day one of Four Pillars, paying a few invoices and keeping me out of jail, she's now director of operations across the whole business and championed the whole sustainability uh, plan for us. Yes. To see her take that to a carbon neutral business and product was remarkable and, uh, you know, climate active is an independent organisation that actually just assesses it and they call bullshit on anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't just greenwash it. You've got to actually do it. And the beautiful Copper Vale out in Healesville acts as a a giant heat exchange radiator so we can close loop our water for the condenser. So how does that work? That's that's pipes that run along... So all the hot water that comes out of the condenser Mm -hmm. basically goes through the fence, comes back in through a chilling unit and we can reuse the water. If we didn't do it, we'd drop... Maybe sixty to eighty thousand liters of water a day down the drain, which is the cheapest option in a drought country. It's yes. ridiculous. Yeah, that's crazy. Or you chill it, which doubles your energy output. Mm. But now we passively cool it, and the chiller works at maybe five percent capacity, and we save all that water. How does it get passively simple. cooled? It just so dissipates that's through the heat. radiator through the through the the, the giant the fence. copper fence. Yep. Just dissipates heat. Mm. In winter, we actually 
reclaim the heat to heat the tasting room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get sort of free heat out of it. Oh, what a beautiful tasting room it is too, by the way. It's pretty cool, yeah. Good. Look, we're very lucky. Like I said, 10 years, we, we've... No, you built you, a distillery you, and you make your luck. <laughs> you really, no, you you have, and and you know you've 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 proven that. And even things like uh, where's that jam? Here we go. Um, who made the jam? Well, this is our Christmas glaze. Yeah, but you, Car- Caroline Gray has Caroline, made our, our yes. marmalade um, again from day one, year yes. one. And last year we did nearly twenty eight thousand jars of marmalade of gin steamed oranges because mm. again, otherwise you've got to find a home for them. Yeah. So, and it's an utterly delicious product. Yeah, we'll give, it's the circle of life, Cam. We'll give you the hangover and the cure. Yeah, there you go. The, <laughs> the antidote and the poison. Here we go. You can have it in the same bag. Absolutely. It's kind of nice. A breakfast martini. Yes. Well, yeah, we've been known to have those. And uh, also, we, um, Kent and I were sort of ruminating on the fact uh, that during lockdown, uh, we did make a lot of martinis. You, you, you might have made a couple, didn't you, Ken? <laughs> I we, certainly did. We, yeah. Quarantinis. Yeah. Quarantinis. <laughs> Quarantinis. <laughs> yes, I, I was having one every night there for a while. Yeah. And that was also uh, coincided with the very, very sad demise of Vern Chalker. Yes. And I thought it was actually my duty to, for him. I was doing it for him. Yep. Um, to say his to you, Vernon. Just a legend of the industry, God, you know. God bless you. Uh, and also for those that have never heard that name, uh, the founder, the he was the instigator, my God, of the Gin Palace um, and was one of the people that really brought great service and good hooch. Yeah, unbelievable. To to Melburnians. And, um, yes, so we've got uh, this gin in front of us, which is... Is rather nice. Well, this is our Christmas gin, and this is, I think, the eighth year that we've released Christmas gin, and this is also a bit of a master stock or a, a Solera. So mm. this is where we distill the 1968 Women's Weekly Christmas pudding recipe, which is what Wilma used to use. Every yes. Derby Day oh, we would we'll, make these yeah. puddings. Yes. Uh, so every Derby Day we make a few puddings and, and then stir, the distilling stir team. with a wooden spoon? Yes. Yeah. It would chop all the fruit and my idiot brothers and I would sit there chopping it. It was probably for 20 minutes, but it felt like all day. Uh, uh, so She's um, doing it to us again. Yeah, exactly. So now we, we get all those ingredients. We take out all the binding agents that don't add any flavour mm. and we distill this with a base gin recipe, age it in... Some of these barrels would be 100-year-old Rutherglen musket barrels. It's got a bit of colour to it. That's the barrel, and then we add a a tiny bit of 12-year-old Rutherglen musket to give it some sweetness because I don't like adding sugar. So it literally just smells like gin and tastes like Christmas, and it's a really beautiful thing. People, We change the artwork every year. This this year Mm. it was Joe White did this amazing artwork, and people collect them, but I hope they drink them. You know, it's I think that's a a beautiful Christmas drink. It's a great way to get through your in-laws. Uh, yes. Christmas and, Day. and Christmas Day. A bit of, gi- My bit of ginger to ale. You, drink heavily. <laughs> yes. yes, ginger ale and lime. Or if it if it happens to be a cold Christmas Day, or if you keep some for winter, mm-hmm. just over ice and a teaspoon of cream or custard is perfect. You know. So this has sort of become a Hillsville mule. Absolutely. Yeah. Without doubt. Yeah. Without doubt. And I love it. I love the process of it. I love seeing the artwork every year. I love the people that come into the distillery and buy it every year, and they buy one to drink and one to keep and. And it's sort of become a little bit of people's Christmas day, mm. which is really lovely. We've got about maybe one and a half minutes left. So, what are the, what's next for for pillars? Are there any any plans that well you can divulge to us? And there's uh, a couple of really cool little projects coming up. You know, we're, we're going to release a 
a gin that's been aged in sherry barrels for about five and a half years. Whoa. And then finished in some lark whiskey barrels wow. for about 12 months. Uh, these are small batch things, but they're really cool. We've got a similar one that's a finishing in some Four Roses bourbon barrels. Uh, we're doing a little fundraising gin for the Australian Olympic team. Not yes. a, we're not an official sponsor. Yes. Uh, but that's going to be great fun. There's just all these great little little projects for us, really, and then mm. trying to take on the world, do a little bit more export stuff and, and try and show the world Australia can make great gin. Well, you've certainly um, demonstrated that and uh, behind this great organisation that started off hand-bottling and Warren died. It's going to be something that I think we're we're all pretty proud of and reflects yeah, let's face it, this this thing reflects well on all of us, don't you think, Ken? It sure does, Cam. It sure does, yeah. <laughs> quite, it's quite right. Um and and can I say, Cam, thank you for coming in and, and what a great way to see out the year of doing this show. And um thank you for doing all the stuff that you do and and keeping us so well, well stocked with, as my my mum would say, great hooch. Oh, my, my my great pleasure. Merry Christmas to you both and to all the listeners. And come out and see us in Hillsville, mate. We're we're open most days. A couple of holidays we're closed, but come out and have a drink and have a look at the stills and mm. look at all the botanicals and meet the team. There are rip, yeah. rip a lot out there. And check the radiator on the fence because yes. it's uh, it's quite an amazing <laughs> thing. And don't forget to get some of that uh, that marmalade. It's 12.58. There's uh, just a couple minutes left for the show for this year. I just want to thank you all, dear listener and listeners, for tuning in on Sundays to get your news about food and booze and this beautiful hospitality industry that I love so much and uh, love supporting and uh, and doing things. But I also want to thank you all. Uh, because as you maybe knew um, that I was a little bit under the weather uh, during autumn and there was a few shows that I missed and I want to apologise for those and say I'm really sorry but there was no way I could get to a microphone. But also, and I'd like to reflect on how great this organisation is because unlike the bully boys of commercial radio, there was nothing but support from this organisation as to getting me back on a recovery and getting me back behind the microphone where I love being and I love having a chat to you. Also, Kent, I'm really, really sorry we're not going to be doing Beat Shack. Going to miss Beat Shack a great deal. Thank you for doing uh, Eat It With Me during the year. Love doing radio it's with you, my friend. It's been a great year, Cam, and welcome back to the microphone yeah. after all of that. Thank you. Well, uh, a reiteration just to let you know, Rachel Connor, who's going to be on next... Uh, we'll be uh, looking after a few of the fills. And then, as we said, Alice Mathau will be back doing her summer best with Paddock to Plate uh, for four weeks and we'll be back around February. So have a great summer. Have a great Christmas. I hope there's great things in your stocking. Maybe some Four Pillars gin if you're very, very lucky. Cam, thanks again. See you all next year. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 